Hello and welcome to episode three of 52 Writing Tips. My name is Sophie and every week I'm going to be going through and giving you a new writing tip that's going to help you hopefully um, edit your manuscript or put your dream on paper or maybe just summon the courage to submit your writing work. So for those of you that don't know, my name is Sophie. I'm a writer. I write historical fiction. I'm on my second manuscript at the moment. And uh, yeah, writing's a bit of an abyss sometimes, I think. And I'm not sure I'm ever going to get to the point where I'm going to know absolutely everything about it. But that's um, definitely one of the things that I love about it. So I just figured I'll share with you what I know. um, And then in true writing style, hopefully, uh, you can share with me what you know. But this week specifically, we're going to look into how to structure your story, which is obviously a pretty large undertaking um, just for one one podcast and also one blog post over on my website. So we're just going to look at the skeleton, the overall structure, and just try and get you familiar with the kinds of beats that you should be looking for if you're new or even just new-ish to writing uh, longer form narrative. Now, we already spoke, I think, briefly in episode one or two about the fact that stories as a rule have a beginning, a middle and an end. If you've studied story structure before, you'll also know that the diagrams will tell you that narrative shapes take on a whole variety of structures. They are mountains, they're drawn as circles, they're lines, they're kind of odd squiggles, um... But regardless of however you want to graphically display the structure of a story, what they're saying is all effectively the same thing. um, And that thing is what we're going to unpack today. Now, even if you're brand new to the mechanics of story writing, don't worry. Whilst dissecting story structure might sound too technical or maybe too academic or even worse, uh, boring, It's actually relatively straightforward and the chances are you already know a lot of it because I think we take in a whole bunch of this information subconsciously when we read. So if you've read a ton of books uh, or watched a ton of movies or done a glorious combination of the two, then chances are some of the things that I'm saying today you're going to recognise in some of your favourite narratives. Um... But I guess one of the most important questions that we should probably start with is why is story structure important? Now, I originally didn't put much stock in story structure, at least when I wrote my first ever manuscript, which when I look back now, you can tell it is just this kind of odd stream of consciousness that starts in a very sort of cliched way with the protagonist looking in the mirror, probably so that I could describe what he looked like to myself, because I'd done nothing in preparation to sit down and write. Um, And it was only in the process of writing my second novel that I realised actually how necessary structure is. And the reason is because if you don't have the structure, you tend to meander, or at least I do, you tend to commit yourself to this kind of stream of consciousness. If you've ever picked up a book, started reading it and found yourself sort of some chapters in wondering, where is this going? What are these characters meant to be doing? What is their goal? I don't understand what's happening. Feeling, that feeling of kind of listlessness is not something that we writers really want to bring out 
in our readers, especially not in the cutthroat world of writing today, whereby a lot rests on the hook that we use to bring a reader into our story and obviously to keep them reading. So I think story structure is important. Understanding the skeleton that sits behind a story can help prevent that meandering feeling from wandering into your writing, which in turn will, in theory, make it more readable. It certainly did for me. Um, And why is this? Why is it when we apply this very prescriptive narrative structure to our stories, do they kind of take shape before a reader's eyes? Well, probably because these narratives tend to fit a set of repeating beats that we maybe subconsciously look for as the story is progressing. That could be one of the reasons. We're we're looking for familiar storytelling cues to understand how the story is going, whether or not the character is doing well, um, and where it might lead us as a reader. I think when you're missing those beats, when you're missing that structure... It can sometimes feel like the story is plodding along with no real sort of excitement behind it or direction moving through it. So that's why we're going to take a look at the skeleton and the basis of story structure. Now, when you boil it down to its very basics, uh, story structure is like I said, it needs a beginning, it needs a middle and it needs an end. Anyone that's ever read a book, written an essay, or maybe composed a slightly too long email to their boss knows the value of spitting something into three. But that is the easy part. The hard part is knowing the role of each of these sections, the kinds of things that need to happen for the story to move forward, and how that feeds into your general idea, into your general plan. So let's take them one at a time, shall we? Now, the caveat of this obviously being that this is meant to be sort of a bite-sized podcast, a bite-sized tip, so we're not going to delve into, um, I wouldn't say the bottomless pit that is narrative structure, because there is an end to it, but there are tons of theories. Uh, So today, we're not going to dive into absolutely everything that you can bring into a story structure, such as the character arc and the lie that they believe and how to create settings. We're just going to focus on the really bare bones of that skeleton, just so that you've got a really nice foundation before you sort of dive any further into your writing. Um, So the three-act structure is what we're going to look at, this beginning, middle, and end. And in general, you'll find that Act 1 will span the first 25% of your book. Act two is the biggest, it's double the size, and that spans from the 25% mark to the 75% mark. And then you've got act three, which is effectively a sprint from the 75% mark to the 100% mark. And we're going to take these one by one, um, but just know that when we're talking about act two, we're talking about something that is kind of a lot bigger, I mean, literally double the size of, of act one or act three. So it takes up a little bit more um, writing time and also thinking time when you're trying to come up with your ideas. But let's start, like every good story should, at the very beginning in our normal world, because that's what Act 1 is. Act 1 is your normal world. In The Lord of the Rings, that normal world is the Shire. In Goodwill Hunting, it's Will's life as an unassuming janitor. The first act is spent 
drawing your character into the main conflict of the novel and drawing them away from this normal world. Now, the role of Act One has to fulfill a whole bunch of stuff. In theory, it's um, it's where you need to set everything up that's going to topple in Act Three. But we're just doing a skeleton today. So I think the most important thing to think about your beginnings is setting up your character's normal world and setting up your call to adventure. Now, obviously, I don't necessarily mean like a literal epic call to adventure like we get in some stories. We don't necessarily need dwarves pounding on the door, a wizard turning up with some kind of quest. The the call to adventure could be something like you've got in The Holiday, uh, the movie, where it's the realisation that Iris has, the character, that the man that she's madly in love with is getting engaged to somebody else. Uh, Or maybe in The Notebook, it's um, Noah hanging off a Ferris wheel and trying to convince Ali to go out on a date with him. Um, In The Titanic, maybe it's being talked off the edge of a boat by a handsome, penniless stranger. This call to adventure is something that should dangle on a piece of string, tempting your character away from the cosy normalness of their everyday life and forcing them out of their comfort zone. So if you think your idea meanders in the beginning, the question to ask yourself is, is that call of adventure strong enough? Does my character have a good enough reason to want to leave their normal world behind? And I think the best representation that I've seen of this is in recently re-watching The Hobbit. I think you might be getting a taste of like what I've been watching on uh, on streaming and Netflix recently because uh, that's all the stories that I'm bringing up. But um, if you watch The Hobbit, it's got one of the best examples of this kind of the call to adventure, the initial refusal, and then the character kind of going, oh, why not? And jumping on board because you've got Bilbo, who's possibly one of the most happy-at-home characters I've ever seen on a screen, um, gets rudely interrupted, really, by a a bunch of uh, hungry dwarves. And then when he's asked to join them on this quest to reclaim lost gold and put the rightful king back on the throne, he just politely declines, goes to bed, and decides to stay at home. So... I mean, the story could have ended there. If, if Bilbo hadn't woken up the next morning and changed his mind, then that would have been it. Tolkien would have had to write the rest of the book about how he likes his tea in the morning um, and maybe some cutesy anecdotes about his nephew Frodo. But obviously, that's not what the story is about. The story was about dwarves and gold and rightful kings being rethroned. That's why the following day, when Bilbo wakes up to a very quiet, very empty house he suddenly realises that he does, in fact, want to go on an adventure. So that is what you need from Act 1. Act 1, we need to meet our hero. We need to learn about his normal world. We need to hear that call of adventure. And it needs to be strong enough to drag somebody like Bilbo up and out of his very comfy armchair and into the very scary world uh, to become a burglar. Now, let's have a look at Act 2. Act 2 is the double-sized one, so it's spanning from 25% to 75%. And Act 2 is when stuff starts to get serious. I mean, as somebody that's written quite a few, well, three to be exact, uh, books, Act 2 definitely feels the hardest. And that's 
maybe because it is doubly long, but also there's so much work that has to happen in act two. You've got to really test and wear down and retest your heroes. Um, So I think when you approach it for the first time, it can seem a little bit overwhelming, but we can split it up. uh, So it is actually the same size as act one and act three, and we'll split it at the midpoint, the 50% mark. So we can think of act two as the stuff that happens before the midpoint and the stuff that happens afterwards. And I like to envision these as a sort of triangle, whereby your character pre-midpoint is sort of making progress towards their goal. They're settling into this new adventure world, they're learning the ropes, and they're making what they think are some pretty decent strides towards their ultimate goal. Then bam, this midpoint happens. And your midpoint is a really important part of your story because it's a swing. It's going to knock your character off their feet, not necessarily literally, and start pointing them in a whole new direction. It's a moment of revelation where they learn something new. It's a moment of um, maybe a plot twist. Maybe they see the true nature of the conflict that they're involved in. But Either way, what should happen is this positive progress that they seem to have been making, maybe some false victories against the antagonist, that kind of swings 180 degrees at the midpoint. And then we've got the gentle decline, the other side of the triangle, as we go through the second half of the second act. Now, before we jump ahead to that, let's have a look. Let's consider some examples of midpoints so that we know what kind of thing we're looking for. So to take the the holiday, again, the film, now I'm just focusing, there's, there's a dual narrative running here, so I'm just focusing on Iris. Um, but her midpoint is the realisation that she's been playing the role of the best friend in her own life with her relationship with Jasper and not playing the role of the leading lady. These for the first time how pathetic it might seem to somebody else and kind of begins to reflect on that. Um, likewise in the notebook, The midpoint is when Ali realises she still has feelings for Noah when she sees his house in the paper. Um, And in The Lord of the Rings, it's when Frodo realises that he can't just leave the ring in Rivendell. He's going to need to take it all the way to Mordor to destroy it. And actually, this undertaking is a lot bigger and a lot more dangerous than he was ever imagining. The important thing, I think, to remember about the midpoint is it really does have to be a 180 swing. So if your story was going pretty well for the character, as most are at this point, um, it should swing in the other direction. Think of the Titanic. She's met Jack. They're having nice sort of dancing dates. I don't know what you would call that. But, you know, generally Rose is quite happy. Things are going relatively well. We obviously have some, uh, some pinch points from the antagonist. But the boat hasn't started sinking. The midpoint is when it swings in the opposite direction. If you're still not sure where the midpoint is, then think about something that is the point of change. So what I like to do is to watch a movie and try and spot the midpoint, try and spot where things move in a different direction. It's also the point of action. So generally, up until the 50% mark, your character has been reacting to things that are being thrown at them. The midpoint is often in sort of superhero movies is when they go right and they directly start going after the baddie or the villain. It's this switch 
from react reactivity to proactivity. And that's important because then what we've got is the second half of the second act. And it's built from this moment of realization, this aha, when your character finally feels like they do have the true picture of what's going on. And this is when you really start to put that pressure on. The second half of the second act is when you've got to start tempering your character like a sword. You need to really pile that pressure on. You need to have the antagonist take a whack at them so that everything they know is crumbling beneath their feet. And if that sounds tense, then that's because it should be. Because that's what brings us in to the very beginning of act three. Now, act three is the beginning of the end, and it has got to, got to, got to, got to start with a bang. Now, I recently rewatched Titanic, and boy, had I forgotten how quickly it goes down. I mean, it's a boat sinking, but both metaphorically and uh, and literally, after the midpoint is just a non-stop race towards the end and it feels like one long uninterrupted scene and it is tense and that is exactly the kind of frantic energy you want to bring into your third act in a way the third act is one of the easiest to write because it is the toppling of all of the dominoes that you've set up in acts one and acts two and it needs to kick off with a really dark moment So this is your 75% mark, the very beginning of the third act. And this is where you have what is sometimes called the death or the doom. It's where your character reaches for their resolve and finds nothing in the tank. It's when they watch their best friend get gunned down before their eyes. It's when the prince comes knocking and they're locked in the topmost room of a tower and no one can hear them. Your third act needs to start this way because your character needs to step up if they are going to achieve that goal and they need to sweat for it. You need the reader gripping the pages of your book, tears streaming down their faces as they flip the pages in some tension-riddled frenzy to try and discover whether or not your character is going to achieve their goal because by now, my goodness, have they suffered for it. And that biggest point of suffering, that biggest moment of change, that comes from the very beginning of the third act, the dark moment, the moment of despair. So in The Holiday, the film, that moment of despair is when Jasper turns up at the front door and she, Iris is kind of entertaining the idea and talking to him when really she should be slamming that door in his face. It's the moment in the notebook where Ali has to confess everything. Her past or her future have finally met in the middle and her fiancé needs to know what's been going on. And in The Lord of the Rings, it's the moment where Gandalf is standing off against the Balrog and seemingly dies, seemingly gets dragged down into the pits of Moria. Now, the canny amongst you will have noticed that there's a theme here and that theme is death. Now, Death doesn't have to mean literal death. Obviously, you can kill off one of your characters. You can kill off someone that they love. But it's not necessary for someone to actually die for you to have this really pivotal third plot point moment. 
It simply needs to mean the worst has happened and that your character is now in such a sticky spot that it's going to take all of the grit and resolve and everything they've learned across the course of Act 2 for them to really drag themselves up and out of it. The rest of your third act from this dark moment onwards is spent in hot pursuit of their goal and in that shedding of the last sort of snake skin of their previous self they'll be able to embrace whatever it is they truly need to get that goal. Now, I realise we've just gone through the entire structure of a story in so many minutes, so let's just do a little recap. But remember, this should just be helping you get the foundation of it in your mind. I'm deliberately trying not to colour each act too too deeply so that you can try and get a solid understanding of the foundations if you don't have it already and a little reminder if you do. So in summary of how to structure your story, all stories have a beginning, a middle and an end. In the beginning, in act one, which runs from zero to 25% of your book, we're going to find your character in their normal world until something calls to them and is enough of a personal pull that they leave their normal world behind in pursuit of a goal. As the second act begins, we find the character making some good headway in their new world and starting to get a bit cocky maybe, thinking that they're getting close. Then we have the midpoint, we've got that 180 turn and the character has to almost start again to pick up the pieces what they knew and they have to rally. And then bam, you get your third plot point, you get your death, the worst happens. It takes your character down and then it kicks them and they have got to sweat and get up and find whatever it is inside them that they needed to find to start racing towards their goal. Because then when they achieve it, your readers will love your character for all of the suffering that they've done along the way. So that has been our tip for the week. It was quite a long one, actually, but I I suppose that is what happens when you do try and compress a simple three-act story structure into a very simplistic version of it. Um, But my name is Sophie. It's been wonderful. And I hope to see you back here next week for another tip to help you push your writing forward, finish that manuscript, or submit your first piece of writing. Thanks very much. See you next week.